Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. What a powerful presence of God in the house this morning. Amen. What a powerful presence of God in the house this morning. Yes, thank you, Jesus. He just keeps showing up and showing up and showing up. And if you weren't here for pre-service prayer this morning or for our 9 o'clock 10-10-10 service, oh my goodness, I just want to encourage you folks, try, try, try to get here. What a, I said this morning, I got up this morning just after they had done praying, and the Spirit of God was as thick as peanut butter in this place, and we had a powerful time of prayer. Thank you, Pastor Rob, for an excellent job in leading us in prayer uh, at the beginning of our service. Uh, Brother and Sister Thorpe, another great devotion and a time of prayer. Thank you for your words this morning, Brother Aaron. I, I was very touched by that. He was very tender and very, very vulnerable and personal in his, his brief testimony there. And it was a blessing, and I'm very thankful for that. And that's why they're leaders uh, in this place, and we're so very thankful. I just have one scripture I'm going to share with you this morning, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And no, we're not going to have a wedding. And it simply says this, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. So today, I want to talk to you about the earth-shattering power of hope. You thought I was going to say charity, didn't you? You can be seated this morning. Charity, of course, in Scripture, we know that's interchangeable with the word love. As we're going through that worship service this morning, and you can feel the power and presence of God, and I I guess I'm up here at the front, so I don't know if it's as powerful back there during some of these times. Some of the folks in the further sections, is it powerful back there? I figured it would be, because he just comes all over the place. He fills up, like Brother Rob said, the train fills the temple. But we go through a worship service like that. Do you feel just incredible, just hope for what God is doing? Do you feel it? We don't talk about hope a lot. And as a matter of fact, if you really understand God's order, if you know and you know that God is a God of order and structure, that scripture, 1313, is not just, he didn't throw those out randomly. And as a matter of fact, he said the greatest of the three of those is charity, is love. Well, if you follow that logic, faith is not the second most powerful one in the list, is it? He says, now abideth faith, hope, and charity The greatest of these is charity, is love. Well, that leads me to believe that hope is the second most important one in that list. And so as we begin to talk about hope and study hope, and we we look at that, we don't talk about it. As a matter of fact, there was a recent presidential candidate uh, that actually used that as their slogan and, and was criticized for it because, well, how dare you say that people don't have hope and et cetera and all that stuff. But I thought it was a really good slogan because you know what? The people do need hope. There are people in this world that are completely hopeless. They are without hope. And of course, I believe that particular candidate was pointing to the people who are poor and destitute and are struggling in our nation and aren't partaking of the 1% or the wealth or what, all that. It was all about money and all that kind of stuff. But I'm here to tell you this morning that no presidential candidate or no senator or law or, or any, any money or any type of a program is really constitutes the hope that those people desperately need. 
See, what he didn't understand is the true hope that they needed was the hope in Jesus Christ, the Savior that came that is going to provide the hope that they really need. They don't need programs. They don't need money. We've proven over and over again you can throw money at problems and it just disappears. But there's a hope that's needed. And I think sometimes we, as Christians, we struggle with hope as well. And I, what I've, as I began to study, and God put this message on my heart a, a few months ago as I was studying out some other things, and, and I recognized that scripture. And, and as I started to dive into hope and really understand, God, what do you mean by hope? What's your message in hope? Well, in scripture, and I'll cover it here in just a moment, there's a whole different definition of hope that God brings in the word. And by the way, it's thought throughout the word. It's over and over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, if you look in the book of Job, the word hope is in there a zillion times. Look what Job went through. Job was in the worst possible situation we could imagine. Not only did he lose his home and his money and his children and all of his belongings, but he lost his friends and his wife even kind of turned on him. That dude lost everything, everything. He had every right to lose hope. Every right. But there was one factor that Job had, and that was his relationship with God Almighty. And you'll notice in Scripture, Job didn't go to work trying to work out a deal to replace his cattle, and he didn't work out a deal to try to figure out how to make more money to get his belongings back. He didn't even work out a deal how to replace his children at the moment. What did he do? He sat down, put on his sackcloth and ashes, and began to focus on his relationship with God. Everything was gone. But he wasn't out there running around trying to fix it. What he was trying to do was rely on this hope in his God, the relationship that he had. Even so much that his friends, his own friends, stood there and, and mocked him and made fun of him and made a joke of the situation. His wife told him, curse God and die. She was literally telling him, just give up hope. There's no hope. There's no hope left. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there's a powerful element of hope in Scripture and if we get a hold of this, young people especially, you need to hear this. If you just have but a shred of hope in what you've been learning in this church as you're growing up, if you have just but a shred of hope in the things that we've been telling you from this pulpit, you can tear this world wide open. You understand that? Nothing can come against you. Nothing can take you down. If Job can lose everything he possibly owned, literally sat down in a clothing of sackcloth and threw ashes on himself and said, no matter what happens, I'm still going to believe in God. If he can deal with that, we can deal with anything. If we have a shred of hope in the message that we've been given, the cross on Calvary, we can tear this world apart. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you truly want to be a part of the message, the effective work that God came to do through you, you don't want to just receive it for yourself. You don't want to just own all the cattle he provided you and have all the children he provided you and have all the home he provided you and have all the wealth he provided you and just sit there and wait. But if you really want to be a part of taking what he came with and give it to somebody else, you got to understand there's an earth-shattering power in the gift of hope. And you can take hope and you can take it out to the congregations that are surrounding you, the people that you know, and you can give them a shred of hope. And that's the message that he came with. It's powerful. You can tear this world apart if you understand what the power of hope is. Romans chapter 8 and 24 literally says that we're saved by hope. 
For we are saved by hope, Paul says to the Romans. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he even yet hope? But if we hope for what we have seen not, then do we with patience wait for it. See, I believe the challenge that we face here in church, aside from remembering and getting that gear set to go out and share this hope with somebody else, is I think sometimes we lose hope. We don't express it out loud. We don't come into church and say, I've just lost hope. I've been in this thing for 35 years. I haven't seen God. I don't see Jesus coming back. They keep telling me, or problems keep coming. My tire went flat. My refrigerator broke. I have ulcers, whatever the case is. And I think subliminally and internally, we can lose hope. Sometimes you wonder, how can people come into an environment like we've experienced here this morning? How can they experience the infilling of the Holy Ghost, baptism in his name, the refreshing power of that, of that revolutionary conversion process, and then some point just say, eh, I just can't do it anymore, and drift away. The mystery. We, we look at that because we're here. We're here now. You're faithful. You're in this thing. You're going, I'm here. I'm part of this thing. How can somebody walk away? But I guarantee you some of those people that have had that exact same expression. I guarantee you at some point they sat here and they knew a friend that had drifted off, a pastor that had fallen, somebody who left the faith and said, how is that possible? This is so wonderful. But all of a sudden find themselves in the same place. I believe it's because they lost hope. They lost that message of hope. Now hope, to some degree, in in the secular environment, I believe that hope is simply just, it's more of a kind of a wish. I hope the Brewers turn it around. Their their pitching stinks right now. I have no hope they're going to win the World Series this year. Or I hope they do. I hope they get a couple of pitchers. Well, the trade deadline passed, and that didn't work out. I hope the Packers are better this year, someone might say. They got a great defense. Oh, Oh, a little shine of hope. But that's a wish. That's just a desire. And this godly hope, and we're going to talk about Peter's version here in just a moment, this godly hope that I'm talking about is more than just a wish. It's more than just a, I hope that rapture thing is real. It's a real hope. It's, it's desire with conviction. We know what the scripture says in, 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 in Romans, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You say, well, how do you believe in God? Because I have faith. Well, you don't really have any evidence, do you, that there's a God? Well, yes, I do. I have faith. That is the evidence. It is the substance of what we have. And then break wide open with your testimony. You need more evidence? I have more evidence. Because my faith led me to a place of this healing environment, this situation, or this situation that God took care of. Our faith is more than that. Our hope is more than that. It's strong desire to please God. It's strong desire to see his will happen as he's given it to us through his word. It's that strong desire, but it's that desire with conviction. That's our hope. And again and again and again through the word, we're challenged to maintain that hope. But I think we lose it. I think we lose sight of it sometimes. And that's okay. Ephesians 2 and 9, our, our, our famous scripture, you all know, says, says that we're saved by grace through faith. And see, a lot of churches and a lot of faith and a lot of, a lot of secular religion, if you want to call it that, or other, other faiths, have this, got this idea that just, justification by faith is it. You, you faith and you believe and, and that's it and you say that prayer and you're good and you're good to go. And I, those people are sincere and they love God. I've talked to many of them. 
And they want to do the right thing, and they want to stand for that right thing. But I'm going to show you in just a moment that there's no possible way that the grand majority of people that subscribe to that idea can make it because of hope. And I'll explain. Let's go on a little bit further in Romans. That chapter, that uh, scripture I brought up earlier, Romans 8, 24. It says, but hope that is seen is not hope, as we said a moment ago. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? If it's in front of you, if you have the evidence, there's no hope there. There's no need to because it's there. You understand, you understand what Paul's saying? But if we hope and we see not that we do, he's talking about that faith again. But what's the key word? What's the key issue is that we don't lose hope. We can't let go of it. You can lose faith in things. You can lose hope in things all the time. People, people have it happen all the time. This, the, that human spirit, we just lose hope. That's when people die. They give up. The human spirit is amazing. It's powerful. The human spirit can do incredible things. It can. We have example after example after example throughout history of amazing feats that human beings are able to do because of the strength of their spirit. And do you know Why? They were able to do it because that hope, that imagination, that, that they, they can see and they can picture the achieving of that thing, whether it's climbing Mount Everest or running under a four-minute mile or flying across the Atlantic in a biplane that has no godly business of being able to make it all the way over there. But Lindbergh had hope. He had true conviction and belief in what he was doing. He could see himself landing in the airfield in France. He knew that he was going to make it. He had to stay awake for that entire journey living with nothing. He had no weight on that plane because the fuel had to last. At any point, imagine, at any point, at any point in that situation, that engine could have sputtered out and he would have spiraled into the Atlantic Ocean and died. How many of us are living our faith like that right now? Or are we playing it safe? He put it all out on the line because of hope. Because he had a strong conviction and a desire to do what he was going to do. A number of weeks ago, I shared a story. I've been reading a little bit about Navy SEALs and endurance and all that stuff. You remember that story I told you? And uh, in part of this story in the Navy SEALs, uh, as they're going through all of their training exercise, and they called it Hell Week, there's a place there uh, off of San Clemente, California, that washes out. It gets a lot of rain, and the ocean comes in there, and all this kind of stuff. And they call it the Mud Flats. And literally, a human being can walk into this stuff and you, you literally sink up to your neck in this stuff. They call it the mud flats. And what they do is they march these guys out there. Now, this is California, but it still gets cold. It gets bitter cold at night, especially right there by the ocean at certain times of the year. And so they march these guys out and they get into this stuff and they stick them in this, this mud flat stuff and they sink in up to their necks in ice cold mud and they keep them there for hours and hours at a time. And they're holding their, sometimes they're holding their weapons above their heads and they sit in that mud and sometimes the chattering is so loud it's, it's deafening that they're sitting there freezing to death. And then and the, the drill sergeants and the, and the instructors are standing over them and they're hollering terrible things at them and saying, just quit, you loser, you maggot, you're a stink, you don't know what you're doing. And they're doing that on purpose. They're trying to do something to test them whether they're worthy of the title of Navy SEAL. They're trying to break their spirit. They're trying to take away hope. 
Because they know that if they ever get into some real situation, real combat, whatever the case is, the enemy in a lot of places in this world are not going to be very kind. And sometimes they hold important information that, that those people want. And they want to know, are you going to be broken? Are you going to lose hope? And so this Navy SEAL is talking about this experience, and he says that we're in this mud, and it was getting late, and they said, you know, you're staying in this mud all night long, and until daybreak, you're not getting out of this thing. And it was hours away, five or six hours away, and they're freezing to death. And these guys are screaming at him, come on and quit. All right, right now, if five guys quit, you can get out of the mud. If five guys quit, you can step out right now. Who's going to quit and let these people out? And one man, one man, began to sing. He started to sing a song. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He was stamping out the vintage where the grapes of wrath. And he began to sing, and pretty soon a second voice started singing. And another voice started singing. Did you feel it when I started singing that? Did you feel it? You know that feeling you had? That's hope. God's going to win. God's going to win. There's hope. And so the other man started singing, and pretty soon they were all singing, and the voices got louder, and the chattering stopped because they were warming themselves up by singing, and it, was, it stopped being, oh, the arm of the Lord, and it started to be powerful. And all of a sudden, the instructors turned, and they said, okay, that's enough of that. Stop singing right now. See, those instructors knew that if they had hope, they would last. The enemy knows that if you have hope, just a shred of hope, he can't win. He can't take you down. And so those guys continued to sing. And even at the threat of being forced to stay in there past the hours that were left ahead of them. If you don't stop singing right now, you're stuck here. We're going to go five more hours after that. And they just kept right on singing and right on singing and right on singing. The voices got louder and pretty soon every single man in that mud was singing proudly. He has stamped out the vintage of the grapes of wrath. And of course the instructors recognized they can't be broken. And at dawn, all right, you guys are done. Time to get out of the mud. And they survived it. There was a study done a number of years, I think it was in San Francisco, uh, if I remember correctly, there was a study done with wharf rats. And what they did is they took these wharf rats, and they were, there's a, it's a huge problem there. If you, if, you know, if you understand how that works, all the coastal areas, wharf rats are a terrible problem. And they're as big as dogs sometimes, and it's just incredible. Well, they have other problems in San Francisco now, but we, we, we don't need to get into that. <clears throat> Pelosi. Pelosi. <clears throat> but anyway, so they have these wharf rats, and they decide they're going to do this test with them. And they fill this tank with water, and they take these wharf rats, and they start chucking them in this tank of water. And what they figured out was in 17 minutes... The wharf rats can paddle like dogs, you know, like this, above the water. In 17, and then it was a circular tank, and so there was no place for them to grab onto, nothing to hold onto. They, they couldn't hold themselves up. And in 17 minutes, the rats drowned. So they took a test group, and they put them in the water. In 16 minutes and 50 seconds, they plucked them all out and put them back in their cages and saved them. So you know what they did with that same group? A couple of days later, they took them all, dumped them back in the tank. They lasted for 32 hours. You know why? Because they had hope. Because it was trained in them in that one test, in that one event, that there was a Savior would come 
and pluck them out of the water and put them into their tank, back in their cages. 32 hours before they finally gave up hope and drowned. It's incredible what the human spirit can do, but look what even the animal spirit can do. So I have a question for you, and, and, and this gets into the deeper part of this message before I get to what Peter had to say. So what really battles us against hope? What, what is it that we battle with for hope? Now, I gave you the example of the Navy SEALs. I gave you the example of the animals. But really, what comes against hope? Beth, what do you think? That's close. It's the flesh. See, what the Navy SEALs are fighting against, it's a mental issue, but they're fighting against what's happening in their flesh. They're fighting against the, the battles that they're going through, all the cold and the, and the hurts and the pains. And the, I, I talked about this in the last story that I told about this guy, running these grueling marathons and running through all this stuff in Hell Week. It's the physical pain. It's the fear, as Beth just said. It's all of the things that happen that we're dealing with in our flesh. The flesh comes against us and begins to work in our minds. So your mind is programmed to protect itself. It'll tell you to do things that really are counterproductive to what you should be doing. We begin to rationalize. I said on Wednesday night, a human being can rationalize any behavior. Well, God will be okay if I just come and sit and stare and, and I, I don't really feel comfortable with this type of thing. Or God will be okay with a few things that I allow because it's what my flesh wants. But let's go back to the garden for just a minute we talk, when we talk about the flesh. Satan, in his failed attempt to dethrone God, in his failed attempt to execute his plan, doesn't have a whole lot of options left. But he goes on a mission to do what? To destroy the very creation that God has. We were created to bring joy to God, to serve God. His pride and joy. And so Satan's plan, of course, to destroy that, gets a hold of flesh. And through the temptation of the apple, the apple wasn't about Eve being hungry or Adam being hungry. It was about the knowledge of good and evil. It was about that part of our flesh, that pride, this stuff up here that said, yeah, I do want to be like God. That's not fair. I think we should have that same knowledge. And at that moment, Satan takes ownership of this stuff that we hang on our bodies, this stuff we call flesh. And he owns it and begins his plan to destroy it. And it comes against things like hope. See, this is his whole design his whole design in tempting you into doing things that are counter to God's plan into sin is to cause this destruction of your flesh, your relationship with God, and thereby hope. He wants to wreck all of that. He wants us to indulge in the flesh. He wants to kill the flesh and thereby kill the spirit. What's a wreck what God's plan was? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to get into this a little bit further now. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Notice he uses the term, a lively hope. You see, hope can die, as I said a moment ago. You might think you have a shot at five foot five at being in the NBA. And you could have some great hopes. You're a tremendous shot. You can shoot baskets and you can dunk. You remember a guy named Spud Webb used to play for the Atlanta Hawks? 
Everybody in the world told that guy, there's no possible way you're ever going to make the NBA. Well, guess what? He made the NBA. He never gave up hope in his abilities. And eventually, he made the NBA, played for the Atlanta Hawks. I actually met him, got to talk to him one time. It was a pretty cool experience. Asked him about his experience overcoming that. And so Spud Webb said, everybody was against me. Everybody wanted to kill my hope. Everybody wanted to, they were, thought they were protecting me. They thought they were, they were helping me, you know, avoid massive disappointment. But what they were doing is they wanted to kill my hope. He said, but nothing could stop it. Nothing could stop my belief in myself. I knew I was going to be there, and I held out hope every single day. You know what he was talking about? It was that hope with conviction, that hope that says, I have the desire to do this that's so strong, but I have such a conviction that I can make it happen that nothing got in his way. Some people just impress people in charge with that type of attitude. How many of us show that type of conviction to a loved one that needs God? I'm not going to lose hope. I believe that you're going to have a relationship with God. I believe that you're going to see what I'm saying when I share the word with you. And I have the desire and I have the conviction that someday my mom is going to come to the Lord. Or my friend is going to come to the Lord. Or my partner, my neighbor, whatever the situation may be. We just need that conviction and that desire, that hope that says, I know that God, with the words that I share, he promises that when we deliver the word and we witness, the comforter gives us the words, he promises those things. And it says that they'll not come back void. Man, I've shared the word of God with, I don't know, you too. I mean, all of you folks, I know you have. We've shared the word of God with hundreds of people, perhaps. Planting seed, planting seed, planting seed. But sometimes I look back at myself and say, did I have the conviction? Do I still have the conviction to believe? And the desire to see them saved. Do we lose hope for them? Oh, they're hopeless. That's a hopeless case. That's never, they're never going to come to God. They're just so cold. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, I thank God that a sweet little lady named Mary Unz didn't look at this horrible, wretched family that she was working with the mother of and said, oh, they're hopeless. The wife's married to a horrible alcoholic. She's just messed up all over the place, emotionally distraught, doesn't get it, struggling. The kid, he's just a loser. She didn't say that. But with conviction and desire to see my mom saved, she kept after her. She kept after her. And she kept after her. If any of you know Mary Owens, you will never see that woman lose hope in anything. If she believes it, she believes it, and she'll see it through to the end. And many people have come to the Lord through that lady. Let's go on in verse 4. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Okay, so what Peter was basically saying there is we've got this hope, this power of God through salvation. How, you, many of you in this room, if not most of you, if you're a guest in the house, this is for the fo- folks right here right now. You've been saved. You've gone through that process. You had that hope. I talked about it a minute ago. You were fired up with zeal and you went and told all your friends and mom and dad, guess what happened? I've just found the Lord. And you're sharing, you're full of zeal. But you're gonna face it. Every single person 
Because like I said, from the time of the garden until now, the enemy's purpose is to throw manifold temptations at you, is to destroy, to come after your flesh. The one way that he can get to you is through your mind and your flesh. And you're going to face it. And see, Peter understood this. Now he goes on to say that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. You understand that? It's more important than any gold or anything that you could possibly own, that you travel through these trials of faith, that you have these events in your lives, that you learned to overcome temptation. You see what I'm saying? Through the hope. He's talking about the lively hope. He started this out by saying we've been given a lively hope, not a dead hope, not something that's just going to fade away. The lively hope in Jesus Christ, it's never going to perish. That hope will always be there until this world is nothing but a cinder. And he understood that. But notice how he begins to relate that, all that stuff to manifold temptations. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold, it's more important for you to have these trials. It's more important for you to have this temptation in your life and overcome it than it is for you to have all the gold in the world. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you haven't seen him, but you love him, in whom thou we now, now ye see him not, but you believe, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's hope. He's talking about that lively hope, that living process, that faith in believing, that rejoicing. You haven't seen him. You've never seen Jesus. You've never seen him personally, but yet we believe. That lively hope. And Peter understood it. And so he understood that what can take it out? What can hurt it? What can destroy our hope? But what happens in the flesh through those manifold temptations? Through sacrifice and through the dealing with our defective flesh, our temptations over and over. But when we win, when we overcome it, we find a place of repentance. We find victory. We keep coming back. We renew our strength. We renew our hope. We grow and we overcome. And I'm here to tell you today, there's, there's, there's ways that we've been given. There's purpose that we've been given to overcome these things, and I think we bypass them sometimes. I think we forget. When you walk into this building, all of this praise and this worship and this sacrifice that's happening up here, I told you a number of, a number of messages ago that we don't kill animals for sacrifice anymore. What you're, you kill yourself. You sacrifice your flesh. Getting up in the morning this morning at whatever o'clock in the morning you get up and get yourself in here to church is a sacrifice of your flesh. You're killing that person that says, no, I want to stay in this warm, comfortable bed. You see, that's a sacrifice. That's not an animal sacrifice. It's a you sacrifice. And when you walk into this building at pre-service prayer and you throw your hands up in the air, that's a person's sacrifice. That's your sacrifice. We bring sacrifice and praise into the house of the Lord. Still today. Amen. Amen. I promise some of you are looking a little confused. I'm bringing it full circle. You understand what I'm saying in just a moment. What I'm saying is that every time that we do that, we get stronger. We build that hope in us. 
The hope is real to me. It's very real. I, I have no issues. I have firm conviction. I know what God wants me to do. I know the direction that this church is going. I know what his promise is. There's going to be a day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are going to rise first and they that are alive and remain shall meet him in the air ever to be with him throughout all of glory. But it's through that hope, that strong hope, and you get stronger and you get stronger those manifold temptations come and they just make it tougher. Every time those Navy SEALs had to go through one of those challenges, every time they had to go through some new step in that hell week, they got just a little bit stronger, a little bit more believing in themselves. They had the hope that someday they were going to get out of the other side of that thing and they were going to slap that pin on their chest and they were going to stand saw, tall and they were going to say, I am one of the most elite fighting people in the entire world. More skilled, more powerful, more deadly, and more lethal than anything that exists outside the United States. That was their hope. And so they held in there. And so every time we come into this place, we throw up our hands, we begin to worship, we sacrifice, we give God everything we have within ourselves. You say, well, well Brother Cordell, you know, I'm kind of a quiet person. I, I, I'm not very demonstrative. I, you know, I, God talks to me personally right inside here. I'm sorry, hogwash. You need to let go of that thought. It's the sacrifice that he's looking for. It's the praise and the worship that he's looking for. And I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and continue to beg people to come up and get a hold of what's going on. These young people were on fire a couple of weeks ago. Many, many, many of you came up and joined in that. Tell me you didn't walk out of here feeling like the hope is strong and this message is strong and I'm on fire and I'm going to make it. Yes, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. This is real. It's real. Because you partook, you sacrificed that person. You sacrificed that flesh and said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to stand here and make a fool of myself before God. I'm going to dance like King David danced when he took off his robes and he stood there like a regular old citizen and like a fool worshipped before the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. They mocked him and made fun of it for him, but God called him a man after his own heart. You see, David had the hope. He had the conviction and the belief he knew what he stood for. And what I'm saying to you today, the pathway to making this thing, the pathway, sacrifice the flesh because it'll build hope in you. It'll make it real. It'll make it strong. But we gotta continue to do that. We've gotta continue to get after it. I have mentioned earlier that the world says that faith is enough. Justification by faith is enough. We just have to simply say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved. I feel very, very sad for that person and I'll tell you why. Because our Savior, Jesus Christ, modeled a completely different idea. See, if all we did was just take this fleshly body and just have a moment of faith and say, well, I believe that God exists and I believe this and thank you, God, and, and there's a little bit of repentance for something wrong, but I go on and continue to live my life what it is, what I'm doing is I'm feeding the very thing that the enemy wants to use to separate me from God. He wants me to lose that relationship with God. He wants me to lose hope. He wants me to get all tangled up in my own sin and my own situation and suddenly I'm losing hope. It, it's, it's, it doesn't seem as real anymore. I don't have that conviction like I used to anymore. But he hung on that cross. He hung on that cross for a reason. So we understood what it was to sacrifice. And so we've got to live a life of repentance. It can't be just about I've got some faith and I'm going to go on and do what I want to do. He modeled it for us. So we do that part. We sacrifice. We come in here, give everything to God. 
As much as the devil is tempting you out there, you should equally or greater serve it to God in a sacrifice. Do you understand? Is it coming real now? Are you starting to figure out what I'm talking about? You see what God is saying? He's the the devil's pulling out all stops. He's got everything out there for you. Everything you could possibly want to indulge this. But yet we come in and do we give the, the Lord equal measure to what the devil's given us? No, we don't. But see, that's the secret. We should come into this place. For everything the devil throws at us, we take it, turn it right around, and give everything we've got to God. That's why we talk about getting up here and praising, throwing our hands up, jump up and down, do whatever God's given you to do, whatever you've got the energy to do. Because devil's after me every single day, throwing all the garbage in the world at me, and he's tempting me to do things. Anybody in here over the last month completely resist the devil and every temptation he's thrown at you? Anybody perfect? Because I'm not. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to take it back here to God and I'm going to give God every bit of my praise, every bit of my voice, every bit of my worship, my physical body in whatever way that I can throw my hands up, jump up and down, worship and sing, whatever it may be. Because I'm saying to the devil, you're never going to bring me down. There's not enough you can throw at me that's going to cause me to stop worshiping my God. And I'm going to keep on coming back. And every temptation he throws at me, I'm going to say, I worship Jesus. I worship the Lord of hosts. And devil, you got nothing that's going to take away my hope ever. It's not going to happen. And we've got to get that conviction. We've got to get that conviction in us right now. In Jesus' name. There's a reason we make an issue that he was buried. Because he took that example. And he said, you got to bury this stuff when you die in your sacrifice. You can't walk around the world with nasty, gangly, stinking, rotten old flesh on your body. You can't carry that sin life with you and pretend it's gone just because you have faith in Jesus, but yet you're towing a carcass full of sin and old life, alcoholism and drug use and all this other stuff. We're buried with him in baptism. Paul said, why? We're washed in the sins in that burial of baptism. We gotta get that junk off of us. Don't tell me you stand here in faith and you've done everything you can to please God. And, and the devil said, yeah, yeah, that's it. Just have faith. That's all you gotta do. Because he's loving the fact that people are walking around believing that they're saved, that they've got everything that God has for them and he's tempting them. And they're just going back to the old life and they're doing all the things that they did before separating themselves from the true God. And then they lose hope. Google it sometime. Read stories about evangelical pastors that are falling away from the faith. It's happening in droves. They're committing suicide. They're taking themselves out. Churches are crumbling all over the place because they're losing faith. They're losing hope. Because why? Everything they have is built on, is built on a lie. And we receive that Holy Spirit We receive the Holy Ghost. We partake of the resurrection. Why? Because the Bible says we become a new man. It's that Holy Ghost inside of us that's going to translate this thing. It's what's going to let this dirty old grubby blob of gunk drop to the ground and die. And we translate into a spirit. And when he does come back, we're going with him in that form. It's the Holy Ghost in us that becomes that person. You see how perfect and beautiful and power that mes- the powerful that message is. 
We have to partake of the repentance, that sacrifice. You have to live it every day because the devil's not taking a break. He's not taking a vacation on you. Young people, I'm telling you, he's just dying to kill your hope. He's dying to convince you that if you don't partake into some of these things in the world, you're missing out. Well, all of my other friends got to do this, and all my other friends got to be that, and I see all the fun that they're having. But the insidious plan behind that, you'll have fun. It's enjoyable. Sin is good for a season. Everybody in this room knows it. But the insidious plan following in behind there is that every time we do that, we separate ourselves from that hope. We separate ourselves from that conviction and who and what he is. Don't tell me that all you have to do is have faith when I know for a fact that we need to be washed in that water. We need to bury that old, crusty, rotten flesh that we once were. And we've got to continue to die to it again and again and again. So brother and sister, you better come in this place. In my opinion now, I'm not telling anybody and I'm not keeping score. And I'm not watching who does and who doesn't. I'm just giving you the word of God. But you need to come into this place and from now moving forward, give everything you have to God in that sacrifice. And when you do it, remember up here, what you're doing is you're saying to the devil, tempt me, will you? How about this? I love you, Jesus! throw a nasty thought in my mind, will you? Hallelujah! Get me angry at somebody, want to cause a conflict with me and a friend? You are awesome, Lord. I love you, Jesus. Every time you do that, you take a shot at the work that he's trying to commit out there on you. And we need to remember that. You want to know him? You want to have that conviction? Sacrifice that flesh every day. Build that hope, that lively hope. When you're up here dancing, shouting, singing those songs, that's lively hope. Peter also talked about being a lively stone. Remember that scripture? That's what he was talking about. Don't be a dead rock just sitting there. You're just setting yourself up to lose hope and lose vision of what we're doing here. And eventually you'll walk away. You'll rationalize it. You'll justify why this just, it's not a big deal. And you'll walk away. But if you be a lively stone, if you enact a lively hope, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. If you have hope, those men in that pit endured incredibly horrible, horrific conditions to get a pin on their uniform and to become known as one of the most elite, lethal fighting forces on the earth. Nothing to do with God, nothing to do with their eternity. Someday they're going to die, hopefully not in the field of battle, hopefully sometime when they're real old and they've lived a good life. But someday they're going to die. And that endurance and all that they did to get there, it's not going to save them. It's this hope, this hope in Jesus Christ. Can I get our musician? I hope it's making sense to everybody. It's such a powerful message. It's so important to God that he put it second in the list behind faith. Faith, hope, and charity, and he puts it second in the list. Why don't we stand this morning?
Brother Cordell, I'm just not that convinced that all this demonstrative stuff is real. I'm just not that kind of person, as I said before. I don't know that that really makes a difference. Seems like a lot of foolishness to me. But there's just something about taking that action. Well, I'm just not a person that gets real excited. Really? Let me go take a hammer out to your car window. Well, I just don't get all that emotional about things. Really? Here's $100,000. Oh, you'll get emotional. No, no, those things don't excite me either. That's just, that's just monetary stuff. That's belongings. Really? Let me slap your kid. Don't tell me that we're not emotional. Don't tell me that we can't demonstrate. The King of kings and the Lord of lords sacrificed himself in one of the most horrific ways a human being could ever die so that we could have the hope of this calling. Make your election and your calling sure. I don't know about you, but I want to come in and I want to throw my hands up in the air and I want to worship him with everything I got because when I walk out of a service like we had today, my hope is so strong. I am committed. I'm convicted. There is nothing that could possibly ever sway me from believing exactly what the word of God says and what he's promised for us. And I want to share this last point with you. And it's simply this. The Bible, read your Bible. It's it's all there. It says it in multiple places. But it says this. If you don't think that that this demonstration, using our bodies, sacrificing ourselves in prayer and, and all of these things I'm talking about aren't true, then you look at the Bible where it says, I stand in the congregation and bless the Lord. Oh, come, let us worship him and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Lift up holy hands. Praise him with the dance. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. All throughout scripture, we're coerced again and again and again. And we're told again and again, there must be something to that physical expression that God's asked us to do. There must be something about this sacrificing our pride and ourselves and our worship and just to be able to stand up here and throw our arms up in the air, to dance back and forth, to bow down before him. I see some of you come up and you go right to your knees and worship in reference. I think it's a beautiful thing. Some of you will stand up and throw your arms in the air. Whatever it may be, whether you kneel or bow or stand or rejoice or jump or shout, whatever it is, every time that you do that, you kick the devil square in the eye and you tell him for every temptation you've ever thrown my way, for every sin that you've coerced me into, for everything that you've ever done, I'm going to go the complete other side and I'm going to do it even that much more because I'm going to have victory in this thing in Jesus' name. You're welcome to come down to the altar today. I'd say let's start doing some sacrifice right now. Let's start worshiping right now. Why don't we get a hold of this thing just today and say, God, I want that hope. I want that conviction. I want that power in my life. I want to know for sure. I want to be so rock solid I never walk away from this thing. I don't even have the thought to give up on church, to give up on God and never come back again. I want to be so armored. I want to have so much power that the devil can't possibly ever get it into my mind that I'm going to do anything else but worship and worship and bless my king in Jesus name in Jesus name bless you Lord bless you Lord thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast we pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven if you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177.
or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.